Well, I think this is the first time I've heard about the Lord's force be with you. Thank, thank you. Yeah, if you have forgotten all the information, which is always very embarrassing, <clears throat> remember the last line, Arsenal supporter since 1971, which usually brings a lot of uh, pity and... But not this season, lah. Huh? Jesus will save us. I mean, Jesus will save us. Uh. And, uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus. And uh, <laughs> the other thing that wasn't mentioned is I've read Lord of the Ring nine times, but that probably shows my need for therapy or something like that. <laughs> it really is a big privilege to be allowed to share a word with you all on your anniversary. I think when I came down from Kuala Lumpur to Singapore in 2007, this is one of the first churches I was connected with uh, through Pastor Andrew, Pastor Vincent. And I took the church camp in Malacca, uh, if you remembered. And if you remembered, I was still working through some of my own emotional uh, pain. Uh, so that's a bit embarrassing, but that was a very special time. And then through the years, we have connected young adult retreats, uh, teaching sessions. And I've always been very grateful for this church. A long time ago, I, I don't count the church by whether it's big or small. That, that, that is not God's criterion, I don't think. It's how much impact you have made for the kingdom. Then when God comes, He won't ask, hey, how big your church? Huh? But He'll ask how much impact we have made for the kingdom. So the impact you have made through the years in missions, uh, uh, in marketplace ministries, in outreach, uh, it has been very impactful. And I think you have every reason to be thankful. So anniversary time, we look backwards. And I don't know about you, but looking backwards, I often find that I'm conscious of all the mistakes and fumbles we made. And yet, therefore, that, that highlights the grace of God. You know, that we are still here means God didn't treat us as we deserve. You know, in all the fumbles, all the problems, God still carried us through and here we are. And, and we want to have a profound sense of gratitude that we have been allowed to be part of God's purposes uh, through all the ups and downs in the last 26 years. But seeing God's goodness also gives us fresh encouragement for the future. Uh, as we ask the Lord to give us a fresh vision of what we are to be and what we should do going forward. Because if God has been faithful to us in the past, He'll be faithful to us in the future. Same God. And so we put our heart, Lord, we belong to You. We want to be whatever You want us to be, whatever You want us to do, we are Yours. And let's move forward with that spirit. And we can be Confident precisely because of his faithfulness in the past. So we know he'll be faithful to us in the future. So thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to be with you. Although both the pastors, so for some reason, are not here. I don't, don't know whether. I don't know if one is COVID and one has some, <laughs> some stomach problems or whatever. But uh, I always feel very warmly welcomed yeah, by everyone. So thank you. Let's pray. <coughs> Father, our lives are often very busy and very noisy. We thank you for even for that minute of silence uh, at the beginning of the service and even now to just stop and think of your goodness, to remember your faithfulness and to say thank you again. Lord, thank you for your faithful care through the years, for giving birth to this church, for the many lives it has touched and continue to touch. We want to pause to say we don't deserve this, and so we want to say thank you. But it's also a day that we say again that we don't belong to ourselves, we belong to you and commit the life of this church going forward. So we, what exciting adventures await us in the future. We await your leadership 
So we know that with you, Lord, indeed, the future will be even more exciting. Precisely because you are who you are, and we are who we are, your people. So I commit again this, this church to you, this wonderful body of believers, thanking you for them, and asking that you continue to fill them and lead them, and give them strong faith and strong courage to follow you into the future. So I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So whenever I come and invited to speak, I always want to check with the pastors, are there some issues that I should be talking about? So I asked Pastor Vincent and he said, hey, you talk some more about the generations thing. Lah. Talk so much. So those of you who came for the workshop, you may have to hear some bad jokes again. <laughs> Forgive me. But uh, well, maybe he felt convicted that it shouldn't be just a one-off seminar. It should be something that should uh, unite the church going forward. So I will touch again on the generations issue. The fact that we live in a time of different generations, it comes across in small ways. Uh, like uh, once my wife and I and our eldest boy, he's in the late 30s, we went to a, a place for, for a meal and we parked the car and he put his laptop on the chair. You see, you better take your laptop with you after someone people stole, after people steal it. Uh. So that's that and mom speaking. And then he would say, hey, chill, uh, dad and mom. This is a very well-lighted place, CCTV everywhere. Nobody was still on uh. But you must understand the values behind those comments. Uh, for those of us, and I always said that we didn't suffer the war, but our parents did. And so they would push their values on us. Like security, safety, you don't play, play. Uh. Don't, 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 can't afford to lose things. Whereas our children who grew up in times of relative peace, they won't get unnecessarily worried. I don't think they are irresponsible, but they would have different criteria of what is safe and what is not safe. And, and so he was very chill and said, what, what, what? Not, not to worry, damn mom. So damn mom, look at each other and okay, we put it here. <laughs> Indeed, it was very well lighted. There were guards and there was CCTV, so and it wasn't stolen then. But then these things will continue in other things like uh, funny things like you finish all the food on your plate. Nah. Don't waste. Nah. Don't waste the food. Then the child will say, actually, I'm very full already. If you force me, force me to eat, I only get indigestion. It won't help the people in Africa. What, so what was... Well, you force me to finish the food. Worst thing, I get fat. So, don't. But then they must remember, not my time, but my parents' time, how for long periods they didn't have enough to eat. So I think all these things come from a certain background, a certain context. And so different generations, and these small things probably shouldn't lead to much conflict. Like, hey, the lights are still on. You're not in the room. No, chill, I'm going to the toilet five minutes only. What, what's the big thing? So... So all these things about don't waste, uh, you must understand where this is coming from. Not from us, because our lives were pretty okay, but from our parents who then pushed these values on us. Because they suffered so much, and I always tell my children, you have no idea how our Kongamas have suffered. And they then therefore wanted us to be safe, and so they pushed their values on us. So boomer, uh, hey boomer, uh, have these kind of values. Whereas our children, pre-COVID, lived in times of relative peace, and so... They are not obsessed you know, with survival or safety. And again, this is nobody's fault. We don't choose what generation to be born in. But sometimes things are a bit more serious. One young adult pastor told me, COVID, of course, they didn't have uh, in, uh, worship, live worship in the building. But now that it's open again, for, for them, I mean, it may not be your case, that the, the people who came back were more the, the more senior people, the boomers and older. But the young adults weren't coming back. 
But the young adults would actually go back to their cell groups. So when asked, the young adults said, if going to the main meeting is only for feeding, I can get the best speakers online. You know, Tim Keller every day. So my, my, my church pastor preaching is... So Tim Keller every day, I can bear my sarong and watch Tim Keller every day. You know. But I miss my friends, so I'm coming back to the cell group, but not to the worship. But for the older folks, coming to church was a mark of loyalty to God and to people. So, oh yeah, these people are not loyal to God, they never come back for worship. Then the young people said, what, what's the big deal? Worship is meant for feeding. I can get better feeding elsewhere, but I need my friends, I need the community. So these things begin to appear now for different generations. They may lead to potential conflict because the old, you're the young are not loyal to God. And you say, why, why are you judge us like that? No. We are loyal to God, but we see God in our friends, in our community. You know? Then one story I, I've mentioned is how one church, uh, the young adults very committed to clean the, uh, 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 a beach because they thought that was taking care of God's work. So they went to clean up the beach, clean up the beach. And they came back and reported back to the elders. And one elder stood up and said, you all spend so much time and energy cleaning up the beach. Huh? Were any souls safe or not? So, for a certain generation, we were told that people who die without Christ will go to hell. Like we don't want anybody to go to hell, right? So, evangelism was the number one calling, if not the only calling, saving souls. And I, I get this, so let's not laugh. I mean, they really genuinely didn't want people to go to hell. That, that is commendable. But the younger folks, now with internet, everything, they know all the brokenness in the world. Poor poverty, you know, climate change, and they, they think that not, evangelism is important, but hey, you know, we also need to be responsible for other elements of God's world, so we should have a broader understanding of mission. But again, a potential clash. Eh? You all don't care about the loss. Ah. Say, no, but then you all don't care that people are starving to death. Ah. No, so, conflict. So we see that there's this uh, emergence of this uh, potential conflict because, number one, we live in a unique point in history where many generations are living together at the same time. So there are at least five generations and we did this little poll when we had the, the, the seminar and we'll probably, we're going to do it again, but he said, well, uh, no, what, what is the big deal with all these generations living together? It, it's because that the different generations have been formed by different formative experiences. That is the why. So, okay, it's time to take a poll. The silent generation is my parents' generation, and it's silent because they, they didn't talk very much, they just did what needed to be done. They survived the World War II, they had to go through depression. I, I, I respect them, because they did what needed to be done, my, my parents' generation. And they were folks who were born between 1928 and 1945. Anybody here born between 28 and 45? The generation, huh? Anybody? Oh, that's it. You better treasure him. <laughs> Whoa! Then the baby boomers, boom, boomers, because suddenly there was a boom of population. Because after the war, now can make babies. During the war, no time to make babies. You know? Now after war, a war, well, so they can make babies now. Right? So there are tons of, of babies, the, the post-war generation, the baby boomer generation, uh, boom, boom, many. In fact, they were the largest population until today. I think the millennials may have taken over, but they were the largest for a long time. Born 46 to 64. Okay, all boomers? Yes, boomer. Okay, there we go. You're only so little clap, money. 
and the Gen X, which I really feel sorry because they are a very quiet generation, squeezed by two loud generations. Boomers and millennials very loud. But Gen X very quiet. And paradoxically, we have found actually Gen X today, all things being equal, may make the best leaders because they know how to build bridges with boomer and millennials. Boomer and millennials. So they, they, they are able to build bridges up and down, the boomers, but then they also are becoming more tech-savvy so they can build connections with the younger ones as well. And I see some organisations and parachurch groups and churches in town who have trusted Gen X to lead, actually are doing fairly well. Of course, it's not the only criteria. Leadership has many criteria, but Gen X see, but very quiet, so they often are missed, not heard of, but they actually are quite effective as leaders. So, uh, born 65 to 80, Gen X. Okay, this is your church council now. Uh, no, sorry. <laughs> Senior pastor. No, okay, sorry. <laughs> I wonder what Vincent is what? what? I don't know. <laughs> Gen X. Huh? 63, yeah? 63, yeah? So he's a, still a boomer. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so you're blessed with a large number of Gen X. Many churches, Gen X were lost because they were very concerned for nurturing their children and all that. And they found that the boomer were very program-oriented, uh, pushing for this and that. And, and, and they, they felt discouraged and they left. And they're very quiet so they don't rock the boat. Okay, the next one are the millennials. Uh, they actually are the first one born with the advent of the computer and the internet. So shaped by uh, the internet, by globalization, they see the world as a, as a, as a big entity now. Those of our time, we, we know your own kampong. If you're gonna, here they see the world and they see all the things happening in the world. So, millennials born 8196. 8196, millennials. To my deep shock, they're actually fewer than Gen Xers in this church. Okay. Got a, they're on holiday. Is it holiday time? But, okay, right. <laughs> because they are used to travelling, millennials. Yes. They've got things like gap year. What the heck is that? And Gen Z or Gen Z, if you're British or American, are the ones that actually, their life is very defined by being online all the time. They are connected all the time. The smartphone is their world, for better and for worse. So Gen Z, Gen Z, born 97, 2012. Right, all our students. After that, I lost count already. Alpha, I lost count already. <laughs> so, the fact that this kind of age groups have been around in the past is not new. What is new is that the uh, point number two, the generations of cultural differences because they've been shaped by different formative experiences. So, as I said, for boomers, we were shaped by our parents who were shaped by the war. So, I remember my mother saying she was in Hong Kong, she had to hide under the church pews when the Japanese bombed so that she wouldn't die. So, my father, as I've shared in the previous story, he was in Penang, he was occupied by the Japanese, so they bombed by the Americans and he was buried alive with a big beam across his chest and he thought he was going to die already. But then the Japanese wanted to rescue their fellow Japanese. So, if you remember that story, the Japanese rescue team came. And they dig, dig, dig all the people out. And because he was covered with dust, they don't know whether it's Japanese or Chinese. So they go and rescue him. Say, hey, Chinese, pui, too late. Rescued him. <laughs> and so every Chinese New Year, he would tell me this story of the beam. Even when the... See, got scar, got scar. Even the scar gone already, he would still see, got scar, got scar. 
And as I said, as I shared with you, I find that when I listen to folks who are older, when they tell you the same story again and again, it's not because they don't know that you have heard it before, but they're telling you something that is significant to them. So when I realize that, then I tell them, you can tell me the story as many times as you want. That's cool. I want to hear what is important to you. Not for information, but you're telling something that is significant. So if you're ministering to people who are telling you the same story again and again, yeah, yeah, I know already, I know already. Out of love, we will listen. Because listening to someone is a very powerful way of ministering to someone. Just the gift of listening alone. Uh, validate someone. That I'm important enough for you to listen to me. So it's not always about transference of information. It's just loving someone to be in their presence, giving them the gift of listening. So that's my parents' generation, shaped by the war. My dad would have seen friends being beheaded in Japanese time. They would have struggled even to put food on the table. So for them, security, safety, these are key values which they push on us. That's why we are worried about the laptop and the car and things like that. Because, you know, and why you have to work as, you have to find a good job as soon as possible. Because you need to put food on the table, remember? And so because others, you have to help your, 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 your younger brothers as well. Because money is scarce. You, once you pass, you work ready. You know? There's no such thing as young adult. You know? Once you graduate, you're adult ready. You've got to work ready. And then you... Because many people count on you and don't think about doing heroic things. Just find a job that pays you the most and secure yourself. And once you're secure, maybe we talk about uh, calling and whatever. But no such thing in the early days of your working career. You find a job that pays you the most and you stick to it because people need you and you need to be secure. You know? So that generation, you, know, you tell our children, you can do God's will as long as it's medicine, dentistry, <laughs> accountancy, law. Uh, you can do God's will within those five So young people, cut your parents some slack. You must understand why they are like that and where that came from. It came from their parents who were very concerned for them. And I always say that you have no idea what our parents went through. No idea. I mean, hiding under the pew to escape from Japanese bombs. And what? You have no idea. And so they are very concerned for safety. And so they want their children to be safe. So they push that on us. And so we will repeat that to our children, even though the context has changed. You know what I mean? So when we teach about generations, it's not just for us to understand other generations, but to understand ourselves. Why am I like that? Huh? And whether this is consistent with faith or not. So in the end, we challenge every generation to reflect on their own generation. Every generation has strengths and weaknesses. You know, and we want to reflect so that we will know why we are like that. But for the young, the, before COVID, it was a time of relative peace. where Because of the internet, they now know so much about the world. And their concerns are not security or significance, but their concern actually is about getting to know this exciting world out there. So exploration, inquiry, they will do lots of things which have nothing to do with buffing up their CV one. It's just to learn and experience things just for its own sake. Not that this will help my career, but just to learn things. So like this gap year thing, a year after graduation, we're going to go somewhere and see the world. And I wouldn't begrudge them that, but for the old boomers, Huh? One year don't work, you know how much money you lose or not? Then your friend got seniority over you. But they, the boomers don't realise that today there's no such thing as job security. Every two years you may have to change whether you want to or not. So it's a different world. But yet that is the values we had, ma. So we want to make sure our children are secure first. Then you go and see the world later. But then too old already. But anyway, see the world later. So don't build up your career first. But the young say, why? Chill, chill, dad, mom. So we want to go see the world. 
They're so different. And uh, inquiry, because this is, this, is, this is a generation that has been encouraged to ask questions. Because our generation, uh, you do what daddy tells you to do. You know, for in Penang, we call a, a child here a boy. A boy you do, huh? yes, pa, yes, pa. So we all obeyed our parents, uh, or we tried to, but then we don't want our children to be like that. Said, you all ask questions. Lah. And so they ask questions. Lo. Why are we doing this? Why is the church doing that? I mean, why? And uh, even our education system encourages inquiry, right? Socratic reasoning, lah, whatever. So the young people ask questions. Why, why is the church doing this? Is this really worthwhile? What happened there? So the, the leaders sometimes get a bit irritated. Maybe not this church. Lah. Why do people always ask questions all the time? Lah? What, what is this? Hey, I've eaten more salt. Lah. More salt. So, yeah, I've eaten too much salt. That's why you got hypertension. No more salt than you eat rice. Whatever. So, I often tell my peers that when young people ask questions, it may not necessarily be because they want to be rebellious. They actually may want to buy in, but they want to know why. Sinek, ask why. So, and that's not a bad thing, isn't it? That we as leaders know the biblical basis of the ministries that we have and therefore be able to explain this. And then they will buy in. One thing I want to say is that often I hear older folks say that the, the young are, are not able to take suffering. They are strawberry or mango, I don't know what. what I said that's not true. I've made, I know many young people who have many sacrificial ministries. I know them personally. So it's not, not true that they are not able to sacrifice. But they must know why. Lah. They must understand the purpose. Lah. They must understand the mission. Then they will give themselves quite sacrificially into this. I, I want to say that uh, to old and young. I, I know many young who actually are highly sacrificial in their ministry. But they need to be. They need to buy into the mission. No? They know understand what this is about. So then we have to share clearly the, the mission. What is the mission about? Not just blindly ask them to follow. I think those days are gone. No? If you are working with young people, I think those in the marketplace know this because now in the office, how to manage different generations in the office. Those in the marketplace know this. Often it's the church that's the slowest to change and adapt to new realities because we trust God, so we can be lazy. But. I think Christ is clear uh, that we should value all generations and learn from them. And that's my passage for today. It's just a short passage in Luke where all the mummies were bringing babies for Jesus to bless. And it says uh, people were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them, but Jesus called the children to him. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. These, truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. We have read this passage so many times that it really doesn't shock us. But the disciples were just reflecting the values of the day, that adults are important but children are not important. So don't go and, don't go and catch out the master with all these little kiddies. No, this is not important. Adults are important but not children. And secondly, men are important but not women. I'm sorry, it's a very patriarchal society. You know that Martha Mary story where you see Jesus discipling Mary? It's actually countercultural. Other rabbis will be asking, why you waste time going and disciple a woman? Last time, last time. No, no. And he says, but Jesus is saying men and women are important. So in a patriarchal society which is weighted for adults versus children, Jesus scolding his disciples, let the children come to me and their mothers, of course, is basically saying it's no such thing that adult important, Children not important. It's no such thing. All are important. All generations are important. And telling us too, lah. So uh, are the boomers more important? Millennials more important? Gen X more important? All are important. All are important. No generation unimportant is my sermon title for today. All generations are important. We need 
not just to value them, but to learn from them. Jesus said, you learn from the child. Hello, learn from adults, I get it. But learn from the child. If you do not enter the kingdom like them, you can't enter. That means we have lessons to learn from children. What? Learn from children? Hello? But no, yeah, there. You learn from children. If you don't uh, enter the kingdom like this kind of uh, open acceptance of grace, you can't enter the kingdom. So we have lessons to learn from, ch- from children. So not only do we value every generation, I would think that every generation has things to teach us. And one of the reasons why we are passionate about the Generations Project is we want to make sure that the strengths of every generation is put on the table for the purposes of God. Young and old, you all have different lessons to teach and we need to learn together for the purpose of God. I think maybe that's why Pastor Vincent wanted me to continue to push the generational thing. We want to get this. La. That's not that, oh, no, let the young people take over. La. No, oh, boomers still in control. La. But rather, how do we bring the unique strengths of every generation so that together we are stronger? That sounds like a National Day slogan. But together we are stronger for God's purposes. But before it begins with a prior commitment to Christ. It's not whether young more important or old important or should we build the church around the young? Because some churches actually build the church around the young or build around the old. I said, no, our first commitment is neither to young or old. Our first commitment is to Jesus. Should it be a church which is centred by boomers and the millennials go around or it's a millennial-centred church and the boomers have to take their place? Boomer, millennial, everybody must revolve around Jesus. Hello? around Jesus. It must be first committed to Jesus. It can't be a young person-centered church or an old person-centered church. It's a Jesus-centered church. That must be our first commitment. Sometimes we're very uh, selfish. You know, why they don't take care of my generation? Old, young, or whatever. I say, well, first of all, let's commit to Jesus first. Then we talk about how Jesus wants us to function as a multi-generational church. Our first commitment must be to Jesus and therefore, it means all generations must take responsibility for intra-generational relationships. It's not just uh, let the boomers still continue to control, or yeah, give up, really, like, let the young take over. Like. Oh, this is kind of, no, no, we all, all of us have to take responsibility. What does God expect me to do as a boomer? What does God expect me as a millennial or a Gen Z? What, what does He expect? So I cannot just point the finger. It's somebody's fault that our church doesn't take care of falling the blanks generation. It's all our responsibility, okay? All our responsibility. You have responsibility, I have responsibility. How can we both make this church more welcoming, affirming of all people, of all generations? Together we can be stronger for God. So don't point fingers at somebody else, let somebody else come and fix the problem. Or what. It's all, all our responsibility. My concern, therefore, is that I, I really don't like this pass the baton kind of metaphor. I don't like this. Because you pass the baton means no need to run already. Eh? So I always remember it's only one time in my whole life that I ran in 4 by 100 One time. JC2. It was a miracle because with my size, I usually shot part, la, tuck of war. So that, day, that year, they had not enough runners, so both and that. <laughs> but because I was still pretty hefty and the stadium was of long shape, so they did not let me be the first runner because of centripetal force, I may run out of the. <laughs> so, so they only let me run the second, second runner because it's the straight. Yeah. Straight, less danger of centripetal force. And, <laughs> so I remember, close to the next but the point is, after you pass the baton, you can chill and watch the girls, I mean, watch the other runners. <laughs> uh, you don't have to run anymore. No, let the third runner run, fourth runner run. And we got third uh, that year, third. Uh. There were only four teams, uh, but still. <laughs> third. Uh. And bronze medal in the right leg, uh, look like gold. Like that. You come to Penang, I can still show you. <laughs> no one passes the baton. And this is my fear, actually, 
either boomers want to continue to be in control or they then say, I let the young take over, I, I, I switch back and play golf or whatnot. We all have work to do for the kingdom of God until Christ comes back. Our roles may have to change. Sometimes when boomers or older reach a certain stage, we may have to give up operational leadership, but then we shift into mentoring work or we shift to prayer or be stewards of the history of the organization. There's no such thing as nothing to do one la. And some people with good health can continue to minister years later. So my principal from Regent College, uh, Dr. Houston, at 99, he's still writing devotions. No, I, I, 99, ah, thing 100, Whereas my mother at 94, who passed away at, 90, passed away at 94, was already advanced dementia uh, and Parkinson's for 10 years. There'll be a lot of old people, right? Even now, ah, one fifth, ah, one fifth of Singapore, ah, 65 and above, ah, one fifth. Ah. But the thing is that I realized that in this modern world, with good health care and good diet, ah, many people will live for a long time. They won't die and go back to heaven. They'll be around. And they will age differently. Some, like my mom, needed help a lot. Some, like Dr. Houston, still writing devotions. So there's no one-size-fit-all seniors ministry. Even based on the point that all generations should be contributing. There's no one-size-fit-all. In the past, a long time ago, I find seniors ministry is almost like a nursery for seniors. Almost infantilize them. So, okay, how are you, how are you today? You know, this, seniors are all like old children like that. And you want to play ukulele, you know, sort of line dancing. So I don't know. I mean, for those who are really hot on ukulele and line dancing, praise the Lord. No? But some may need desperate care, dementia. Some may want to write devotion. So I'm telling you, it's going to be very challenging because there's no one-size-fits-all seniors ministry going forward. People will age differently and there'll be a lot of us. And how can we mobilize them to the max for the kingdom? We have so much, if their health is good, they still have energy, they have life experience. We need to mobilize them and think beyond the, oh, it's time to retire kind of mindset. Now we have to help people be productive and serving the best for the kingdom all the years that God gives them. So what is your church doing about that? Many seniors tell me often, they, no, they feel they're not needed anymore. Because number six, our primary call is to love uh, those of other generations. So how do we love seniors, for example? I've heard many seniors say, well, I, I'm older now, sometimes I, I feel I'm invisible. People make decisions, they walk past me as though I'm unimportant anymore. This is what seniors tell us in our research. Or we do not know the most newest technology and it seems that because of that we no longer count. Which is silly, right? I mean, they, they may not be able to do the latest technology, don't mean that they have nothing to give. That's a totally different statement. Or we feel that even we don't fit in the church anymore. So because we are now older, our mind is a bit a bit slower. So sermons is one thing, but we get a lot of joy from singing the songs. But now we come to church and most of the songs we don't know one. Also new songs. We don't know. We try to follow, no, cannot. So as I shared with you, there was one church camp I went to, all the worship leaders were all younger people. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And all all hill songs get the that. But the older people I see them gamely trying to follow along. But no old people we are adaptable. They try to follow but no. So I told the worship leader, I think, remember, I told tomorrow, uh, you all start by singing, holy, holy, holy. Yeah, yeah. If you don't know what that is, uh, go and Google it. Uh. So the next day, holy, holy. What well, the whole congregation sang loudly, young and old. Because for some, it's not so much of, let's make everybody happy. Why you still want him? 
but rather because we love everybody, we want to have a mixture, a set of music that will make sense to different generations. Not to make everybody happy, but is there a song that would trigger a, a faith memory? I came to know the Lord and that song was important to me. So, worship leaders, do you love your people? Do you, so don't just exegete the text, you exegete your congregation. What are the people? So there are lovely new songs. I love the many of the new songs and we seniors must learn new songs because God is alive today, not just yesterday. But when we sing the older songs, it's a recognition that God is also the God of history. He didn't just start working when new songs came around. God has been working for 2,000 years. So we want to learn the modern reality of God, new songs, but also a reminder that God has been active through history or even our personal histories. So certain songs would trigger off certain memories and would ignite our faith. Yeah, man, I, I came to know the Lord in that period. So, but then I remember that young and, new and old songs are very highly relative. Lah. Oh, today we're going to sing old songs. Majesty, say, oh, don't consider old songs, not him. You know? So I realised new and old songs are quite subject, subjective also. But still, we try to discern what will make sense to as many of our members as possible so they can enter deeply into that spirit of worship. New songs, old songs. So I think often the battle is not between new and old music, but between good and bad music. So, but then for the young, if you love the young, we must understand how difficult their world is too. So we have a, a girl in Sec 1 who's trying to share the gospel with her, her, her friend, Sec 1. Huh? And the friend says, hey, you Christians are the one who are anti-women and anti-gay one, right? And you claim to be a loving religion. Huh? Yeah. So Sec 1, huh? because everyone is online, huh? they see all sorts of things. Huh? And we can't even reach the point of sharing the gospel. We, we don't have to un build up, climb over this sort of bias against the Christian faith. Are we equipping our young? I have young adults who come to me starting their working life, just started a working life, and they said, well, the church equips me how to commune with God. Prayer, Bible study, uh, you know, evangelism, how to lead small groups, but they haven't given me any help in the Monday to Friday world where they're co confronted with diverse worldviews, highly ambiguous business situations. And all the church, what, what the church, when I tell this to the church, oh, we will pray for you. So, but no real biblical understanding of how to follow God in a very complex, grey, fallen world. So, to love our seniors, what does it mean? To love our young people, what does it mean? If you love them, we will try to discern and listen to them, listen to them as to what are their struggles and the church understanding how to connect the unchanging word but to the realities of their world, whether young or old. It's not just one size fits all, poop. It's a very lazy way of doing things but taking the trouble to learn, listen with our heart to our, to our young, to our seniors, everybody in between, what does it mean to follow Christ at your chapter of life? How can the church stand with you? Because we can't do this overnight, but at least it's a journey we are on. We can do better year by year. How can the church be more relevant to the different age groups to help them follow God in their chapter of life as a family? So we need to learn from each other so we can be more effective in following Jesus. We always say that the young have a lot of learned expertise. You know things, because of the internet, you know more than the old people. You cannot catch up really, you cannot. It's probably the first time in history that the young know more than the old. Last time the old know more than the young. They may use the knowledge to control, but now cannot really. The young know more. At the time I'm preaching now, I'm sure they're fact-checking whether I'm bluffing or not. They, they know more than more than the old. But I say the old have more lived experience. We have gone through heartache, we have gone through failure, 
we have gone through pain, we have bounced back from mistakes. That one, no fault of the young, you haven't lived that long, it's not, not fault or what, no? But so you, have no, you know a lot of stuff, you know a lot of learned expertise, we have a lot of lived experience. Shouldn't we be working together? The last two days I was with something called uh, Hashhack in Digitus. It's a group of Christians who are creatives, programmers, how to use digital technology for the kingdom of God. I don't know how I managed to join them because I don't know any of these things. Right? I don't know. So maybe they made a mistake called the wrong person. I, I was with them and shared a few devotions and oh, they blew me away. They know things I don't know. One. But yet, maybe the old geezer can provide some biblical background, ask some questions. Then together we are stronger, right? They know things I can never learn. Hashtag today is the last day. And I think I had something to contribute to them. But together we are stronger. So this is the vision for us as a church, not old versus young, but how can we love each other and together be stronger for God's purposes. Let's don't miss the moment in history. So we are talking about generations, not just to minimize conflict, but to maximize the contribution of all of us for the purposes of the kingdom. And it means we have to be very patient, we have to understand each other, we have to learn how to work together. That one means work to be done. Leh. Huh? But I will say that therefore the church needs to take the intergenerational challenge seriously, and I'll be finishing here. But sometimes I think it's not just big things, sometimes it's small things. Every Sunday night, my wife and I will have a meal with our children. My wife and I, boomer, millennials. They're in their 30s, we are in a double-double, the age. But then we have a meal together and we listen to our boys, you know, and how, we did, how we are doing, and we listen to their struggles, get to know the world today through their eyes. And sometimes, hey, dad, dad and mom, what do you think about this? Huh? So we will have discussions. So this is Boomer and Millennial, or me and Wei Hao, Boomer and Millennial. It is not impossible for Boomer and Millennial to work together, but it means love and patience and the commitment to listen to each other. So our tagline is unity through empathy. We, we want, I may or may not agree, but at least I know where you're coming from. You must know where I'm coming from. You may not have to agree or endorse, but at least I know where you're coming from. Unity through empathy. So going forward as a church, the next 26 years, this is a unique point in history. Uh, people from different generations, shaped by different formative experience. Is it going to be, oh, yo, so much problem. Ah. Oh, wow, such a great potential. No? You all decide, lah. Let's pray. Let us be like the children of Isaacar who knows the times. Let us have wisdom, Lord, that it is by your will that you have put together different generations who are different. And the enemy will exploit this to divide us, but the Spirit will unite us for your glory. And I commit this church to you, that they will understand the times that they will be patient and loving, especially to those of other generations. That we know that we are family, we are brothers and sisters. That we will love each other, we will carry each other's burdens, and we will help each other be all that we can be for your glory, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.